0: Love? I have no idea. What is love? Um, love is when you love somebody. And it's when you love somebody, and it's really when you love somebody. What do you think it feels like to be in love? It feels like... Heaven. What do people who are in love with each other do? They be gross. What does that mean? They kiss, they be gross. If you're not in love and you want to be, what should you do to find someone? Go to a woman... Casino. What about Tinder? Do you think that's a good way to meet people? Tinder... Maybe. If it's chicken, probably, they would probably like it. Chicken Tinder? Yeah, I like it a lot. lot. Yeah, it's fun to have on a date. Yep. Do any of your friends at school have boyfriends? I don't know that answer. My friend pretended she did, but it was just a stuffed animal. That's weird. And I like to do it all the time. You like to do what all the time? Play with my Legos. Do you like girls? Yeah. Do you have a girlfriend? Yes. Who is she? Isabella. What do you, what do you like about her? Um, her hair. She, she has beautiful toys. <laughs> Is there anyone you have a crush on? It's a secret. I'm not telling anybody. So is so she your girlfriend? No. But she's beautiful. Is that? What do you like about her besides that she's beautiful? Uh, she's just beautiful. Is there any boy you have a crush on at school? No. How did you know you were in love with her? Um when I met her in. When I met her in kindergarten. She was just so beautiful, and I. She had long hair. and She was just so beautiful. I'm not really into that stuff anymore. Like what stuff? Like marrying stuff anymore. I feel like I want to be single this, now. And what about like for the rest of your life or just now? Just at the moment. I'm not sure about maybe when I get older. I'm just nice. want to focus on yourself and your career. Yeah. What is love? I, I, I can do kick. I'll see the kick. Wow, and that's what love is? Yeah All right. Yeah, that's pretty fun So we're going to talk about love today, uh, and it's fun to get kids' perspective on that, and maybe one of the funnier things is that as we get older, we don't necessarily have a more mature answer. Um, So, hey honey, I can do kicks. What is love? In a few weeks, I'm going to preach about what the Bible says about love and marriage. The Greek word for it is eros, it's a romantic love, uh, sexual boundaries, all those things, so that should help attendance in a few weeks, but... um, We're not going to preach on that until we get this one down. Because it doesn't do any good for us to talk about romantic love if we don't understand the deeper love that the Bible points us to. And that's this love that's an agape love. That's the Greek word for it. Agape means this love that's unconditional. This love that you don't earn. This love that depends way more on the giver than the recipient. Do you have that kind of love in your life? Do you offer that love for the world around you? That is your choice and has nothing to do with whether or not the person has earned it. Has nothing to do, nothing to do with whether or not the person has earned your love. You just give it. That's grace, that's agape. That's the highest form of love. It's selfless, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it transcends, it persists, it never ends regardless of circumstance, it's always there, it makes no room for hatred, it makes no room for contempt, it makes no room for these things. That's love. Kids have a way of of revealing uh, to us in just some really simple but often deep and profound ways what love is. There's more. I found this online. Kids were asked, what is love? Tucker, age seven, says, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. <laughs> Kate, in age seven, says, love gives me a headache to think about, and I'm only a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. <laughs> You'll change. Regina, age 10, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. <laughs> I just love the girl in the video who's like, I'm taking a season off from dating. Uh, right now focus on my career Carter age 9 asks what is love love is foolish but I still might try it sometime Brody age 5 age 5 says when someone loves you the way they say your name is different you just know their name is safe in your mouth see what I'm telling you it's agape love it's the deepest love and Brody knows that he needs it and knows how important it is even if he can't articulate it perfectly Bobby, age 7, says, love is what's in the room, this is deep, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Emily, age 5, says, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. (laughs) Emily's watching, and she notices. Olivia, age 8, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot, because people forget how true Sophia, age eight. Sophia means wisdom. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend down and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Elijah, age six. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends, even after they know each other. (laughs) That's the deepest love. Agape love. Love doesn't depend... On whether it's earned, it depends on the giver. It depends on whether you choose to give it. Ava, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Yeah, not bad, huh? So this is love. This is what the Bible says love is. The world says something else. The world says love is something that you do when it's your friends and they earn it and they deserve it and they agree with you and, and they're, they're, they're walking the right line and they aren't doing anything dark or sinister or wrong or sinful or evil and they aren't hurting you in any way. Then you can be friends with them. Then you can love them. Love your friends, hate your enemies. And if it's an enemy, no rules. Go after them as hard as you want. Underneath all that, I suppose, has a lot to do with who we allow to influence us. Who who, who we have the volume turned up the loudest. The, 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 The voices that tell us... Here's what love is. Let me define it for you. Or here's what life is. This is where the abundant life is. It's, it, it, it's, it's in these places. And we see this particularly in social media where it's all about getting likes and followers. And, and, and there are people who make it a career goal to be influencers now. Do you, under, do you know what this is? Ask somebody who's younger than you and you might. Or if you're younger and you don't know, then you're really truly living in a good pl- a space. Stay right there. Actually, to be fair, influencers can be extremely positive influencers, but not all of them are. Influencers are people who make a living by getting clicks and likes and followers. And so advertisers see this on YouTube or other places and they say, hey, we're going to sponsor you. We're going to give you all this money. So you just keep doing what you're doing. And if it's a positive influence, that's great. But so often it's a negative influence. So often it's a it's a critical spirit, it's, it's a hate-filled uh, uh, kind of influence. It's kind of influence that, that drives people further into the shadows and sometimes deep into the darkness. But, you know, if you're getting paid, it's a pretty good gig. Why wouldn't you keep doing it? Which just might be the motivation behind a lot of what we hear today, the loud voices on cable news, the loud voices on talk radio, the loud voices in academic institutions, the authors, the bloggers, the the book writers, uh, the, the, the politicians, the people who are out in front and leading. Is it possible that they're the ones who are benefiting from dividing the rest of us up? Is it possible they're getting more from that? That they're benefiting from that? by the clicks, the likes, the, the attention they get from it. Have you noticed this, particularly on Twitter, how mean it can get sometimes? But it isn't just there. It could be TikTok. It could be, uh, my, have you heard of this new thing called MySpace? This is pretty awesome. <laughs> just kidding. It could be Facebook. It could be Instagram and on and on and on. It could Snapchat and on it goes. And as soon as a 50-something-year-old like me knows the names of those places, then young people are going to find a new one. ...because it's not cool anymore. How do you, who do you allow to be the influencers in your life? The Bible says this... ...in contrast to the negative influencers... ...and in contrast to all the noise... ...and the voices that are out there. I'll lead you... ...I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I'll refuse to look at anything... ...that's dark, that's vile, that's vulgar. So in contrast to the world... ...Jesus says, love your enemies. I don't want you to just hear this... ...as preacher's opinion... I want you to understand this as the major point of the sanctified life. In other words, what life should look like when we're following Jesus. There isn't a greater commandment. There isn't a bigger point. There isn't a more repeated theme. If we're going to follow Jesus without love, well, we're not really following Jesus. If we want to develop a brand of Christianity, which is becoming a little bit trendy these days... A brand of Christianity that falsely claims to be really courageous means to stand up against injustice and immorality, and it does. Please do not misunderstand Scripture or my heart in trying to tell you what Scripture says about these things. To be Christian means to stand up against injustice, loudly, boldly, stand alongside of the oppressed, to fight for what's right. Christianity does mean to stand up against immorality, to stand for the sanctity of life, to stand for the issues that matter to God and so they matter to us, to stand up for these things, but to do things in a way that reflects the spirit and the nature and the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He says love your enemies. He doesn't just say love your friends. He doesn't just say love the people who agree with you. He doesn't say be civil to your enemies. He doesn't say be tolerant of your enemies. He commands us to go wait deeper than that. He says, I command you to love in everything that that word means. I command you to love your enemies. And he does this because he knows it'll be better for us. So hear the word of our Lord, of Jesus Christ. And if you let him be your Lord, then it's not like it's optional. It's not Christianity, this brand of Christianity that says, it's okay to justify hate towards somebody else. Because what they're doing is so dark. What they're doing is so wrong. It's okay to hate them. But Jesus never says that, even though some of his followers these days do. Don't listen to them. Don't let them influence you. They're not being biblical. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is way more radical than that. In some ways, it's way more shocking than that. And in the midst of this series where we're trying to make sense of Jesus' most shocking statements it starts right here. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. Jesus says, "You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much." If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect. Skipping deeper into the Gospels, Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus said, responding to the question, what's the most important commandment of all, Jesus? And Jesus says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and so you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice it doesn't just say, love the neighbors you like. Love the neighbors who agree with you. Love the neighbors who stand in the same place on the issues of our day. Love your neighbor without, without any kind of condition. No other commandment is greater than these. So if you want to follow Jesus, this isn't an option. It means we might have to change some things. I am not suggesting this is easy. This is really hard. And it's particularly hard when we have all these influential voices telling us that you don't have to love. That it's okay to justify your hate. Your contempt for other people. Because they're just so wrong. You can go ahead and hate them then. And that's the way it's going to get better Romans chapter 12 verse 9 to continue this theme don't just pretend to love others really love them I love the way that's worded you can't fake it you're well I'm a Christian I love you I can't stand you I want nothing to do with you don't just pretend to love others really love them Hate, hate what is wrong hold tightly to what is good again it's not about saying you don't stand against the things that are wrong you do It's just the way you do it that matters to God. The way you stand up. The way you fight the good fight. The way you stand against injustice. The way you stand against immorality. The way you let your light shine. It matters to God. And it matters to the world around you too. Which probably explains why this is the major theme of the Christian life in the New Testament. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Verse 14 of Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. That's hard. God bless that person who just like rear-ended me on that trip. God bless them. God bless the people who are who are uh, corrupt and, and, and evil. God, God bless them. God, give them a better life. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the... instead if your enemies are hungry feed them if they're thirsty give them something to drink we've got a missions fair going on here at our West Des Moines campus on the way out and if you're at another location look into these things get involved in the missions at your location get involved this has always been a church that doesn't want to do Christianity removed from the call of God to be light for the world around us to reflect the light and the power of God's love to the world around us don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Is it possible the only way to conquer evil is with love? But love is the only thing powerful enough? How are you trying to conquer evil? With love or with hate? With grace or with contempt? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Does this sound like the influential voices in our world? It keeps no record of wrong. It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. Does this sound like the voices that we're following in the world today? Humble voices? Because to follow our Lord means that's what we're going to look for. We're going to look for the humble voices. We're going to look for the ones that don't keep records of wrongs. We're going to look for the grace based voices. We're going to look for the voice, we're going to let them be our influencers. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never loses faith. It's always hopeful, it endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, you know it, it's above all, Colossians 3, verse, verse 14. Above everything else you can do as a Christian. Above all the other important things that show that you're a Christian. Later in the Bible it says, people will know you're Christians by the way you love people. Here it says, above all, clothe, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And finally, I mean, I could, go, I could go all day on this. It's just page after page, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. I'm just pulling out a few. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20, this is... This is one that gets right in our face. If you say, "I love God but hate a brother or sister," you're a liar. Well, that's bold. If you say, "Oh, I love God, I'm all with God, but well, I hate those people. I hate her. I hate Him. I, and I should. I'm sure God's okay with me hating this person because this person, I mean, look at what this person has done to me or to the world or whatever it might be. Look where this person stands. Look, look at this person's issues. Look, look at the things this person is for. Of course, I have to hate this person. I might even call that person the devil. I might even say this person is the worst. If you say, I love God, but hate a brother or sister, you're a liar. Those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters without condition. Not just the ones you like, not just the ones who agree with you, all of them. Everybody okay? (laughs) Let's take a breather here, all right? Let's laugh a little bit, let's take a breath. I want to show you some more examples of the influencers, the voices that are out there. And some of you know this better than others, but on social media, the way you get attention is you hate. The way you get attention is you pile on. There's this thing called um, motive attribution asymmetry. That's the academic way of of saying something. It's a pretty simple concept. It's this thing that's developed over the last 10 or 20 years in in our culture that says it's not just a competition of ideas and and a respectful debate about which is the best way to go, which is a very healthy thing to do. Please hear me as clearly as I can possibly say it. To love one another, to love our enemies, Jesus is not saying you have to agree with them. Jesus is not saying that everything that happens, you have to agree with anything anybody says. Go ahead and disagree. Disagree with everything you've got. It's the way you do it. My little brother and I disagree on favorite baseball teams. We both grew up in the same house on the north side of Chicago, so he should be a Cubs fan because they're the north side team. But for some reason, I'm gonna love him as I say this, for some reason he likes the White Sox. It's just wrong. I like the White Sox too, but they are my distant second favorite team. That's the advantage of growing up in a city that has two Major League Baseball teams. It's like in Iowa where everybody loves the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones. Okay, maybe that's a bad example. And this is Hawkeye Celebration Sunday, is it not? I mean, that's just, how fun was that yesterday? That was, uh, even Cyclone fans, you should be like, this is probably good for our state. This is, probably, this is probably good for the state of Iowa. This is it's pretty odd. Awesome. We beat Penn State. Yes, Yes, we did. We beat Penn State. It, we, now it's we, right? Because my daughter works at the University of Iowa Hospital. And my son-in-law, Dan, by the way, he's a pediatrician in the Children's Hospital. And he just wants to say thanks to all of you who were at the game yesterday who turned around at the end of the first quarter and waved at him. He really, really appreciates that. That's awesome. Actually, it's not just him. We know that. In particular, it's all of the um, patients who are there in the children's hospital. What a great tradition. What a great way for Iowans to say, here's what matters most. We're going to stop the game. We're going to stop the game that has become a bit of a religion for some. We're going to stop this game to remember who we are, to remember what matters most to us as Iowans, that we care about those kids who are in the hospital up there. That's love. Back to my brother and me. So we text each other a lot. We love each other a lot. We were each other's best mans at our weddings. And, 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 you know, so it's a genuine, authentic, deep love. It's a brotherly love if there ever was one. But, man, when he starts peppering me about how bad the Cubs were this year, because they were, and how great the White Sox were, they were during the regular season, although not so much now. So when he peppers me with that stuff, it's all good, clean fun until it gets personal. And I'm not just saying it comes from him to me. Sometimes it comes from me to him. But when it gets personal, when we start calling each other slow, or, or that you don't really know anything about this game, or you're just you're just a bonehead, or well, how can you not see that? It starts to get personal. Now we've crossed the line. Competition of ideas, which team is better on a silly, superficial level? Great. And the deeper issues of life, great. Competition of ideas is good. You don't have to agree. You don't have to agree. Fight the good fight, Christian. Stand up for justice. Stand against immorality. Fight the good fight with everything you got. Great. But make sure your motivation is love. Because if you don't, the Bible says it's time for you to be silent. If you can't speak the truth in love, don't speak. Stop talking. And by no means should you become an influencer. Or should you follow influencers who spew their hate out. And say the way we're going to make this world better is we're going to hate the other side. We're going to hate the people who disagree with us. We're going to mock them. And we're going to have contempt for them. And we're going to try to have them destroyed. Where does that lead? When we laugh about these things, and there, have you heard about this, these videos that are on YouTube called Mean Tweets? They, they have, it was on one of the late night shows, and now it's on YouTube, it, celebrities come out and they read the tweets that people have tweeted about them that are just nasty mean. And they, for the most part, have a good nature and a good spirit about it, and you see their reaction, and that's what's kind of funny, and I think it's okay to laugh about it because we're laughing with them. But underneath it all, they're human beings, no matter how famous they are. No matter how rich and popular they are, they are, hu- they are flesh and blood. They have feelings. And some of this stuff has got to hurt. I mean, it's funny, but there's another story going on here. And what does this say about what we've become? That this is out there uh, on a billboard called Twitter. Take a look. You can laugh, it's okay. This out there, I hate John Hamm. I hate his face. I hate his pig name. I hate how smug he always looks. I hate John Hamm. My mom thinks that Joseph Gordon Levitt looks like a Q-tip. <laughs> Rob Lowe looks like skin cancer. I find Bill Murray not funny. I was glad he got shot in Zombieland. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. There are people who think Julia Roberts is hot. Her gigantic mouth looks like it will devour an elephant in one bite. Thank you, Chemotherapy 7, and good luck. Ashton Kutcher needs to get hit by a bus ASAP. Mindy Kaling is not funny or attractive. She has an annoying voice and just plainly sucks. Why does she have her own show? I feel like this is more than 140 characters. David Blaine looks like his voice is putting his face to sleep. Ethan Hawke seems like a guy who wasn't supposed to be a movie star, but he slipped through the cracks and everyone was just like, okay. Will Ferrell is overrated. Sorry, but he just screams. It's kind of true. John Hamm is a soft boy with a dad bod. Hashtag, truth. Maisie Williams looks like a very young grandma. I bet Zendaya's feet smell like Funyuns. Let's check, shall we? Nope, smells like success to me. It must suck to be a cute little kid, only to grow up looking like a creep. Yes, Fred Savage, I'm talking about you. The older Mark Hamill gets, the more he looks like Yoda. Seriously, seen that guy lately? He's Yoda. Mmm, Mean burden this is. Thanks a lot. Wow. 93% of Americans in a recent major survey said they've, they've had it with this. They've had it with the divisions. So why do they continue? Why do they go on? Is it possible that the 7%, they gain something from it? There's something in it for them? That they realize that if we can just get you more and more divided, we're the only ones who win? Because you'll keep tuning in to our cable news shows and our talk radio shows, and you'll keep clicking like, and you'll keep following us, and advertisers will notice this, and they'll fund us, and if we don't hate, we won't get funded? Have you worked that one all the way through in your mind yet? Because now it's starting to come very obviously clear in all of the research and the studies how this is working. Is it possible that the only ones who are winning are the 7%? Are the ones who benefit when they divide us up? Because they win, but we lose? And then it's not it's maybe 1% or 2% of those who actually have a big voice. And then there's another five, 6% who do a really bad impression of them and, and try to do that in their own kind of personal way on social media and say, I'm going to sound just like my influencers on, on cable news and talk radio and, and my professor at school. And, and it can be left or right. It doesn't matter or some other direction. I'm going to do my worst impression of these people. And I'm going to try to just be like them so I can get a few more likes. And that'll give me a little adrenaline rush or you know, hit the dopamine button in my brain. And I'm going to feel like I'm something then. And it's killing us. It's killing us spiritually. It's separating us emotionally. It's crushing any hope for unity we have in the United States of America. It's absolutely destroying us. And it's time to stop. It's time for us, especially as Christians, the hundreds of millions of Christians, the tens and tens of millions in this country, hundreds of millions in this continent, billions worldwide. It's time for us to be who our Lord commands us, doesn't politely suggest, commands us to be. Love your enemies. It will stop this. It will stop this nonsense. It will stop this division. It will stop this disharmony. It will stop this. It will stop this world where only 7% are benefiting and 93% are paying the price. It will stop this. It's the only way. Only love has the power to stop this. This is why we should love our enemies. This isn't, it isn't just Jesus says this, so we should do it, although that's the first and maybe the best reason. Our Lord commands it. Did you grow up with a dad like I did when I would question, dad, why do I have to do what you just told me to do? Mike, when I tell you to do this, when I tell you to jump, you just say to me, yeah, you had a dad like that too. So our Lord commands it. Our Lord commands it. And because he says it, we have to trust it. It really becomes a question of faith. Do you trust Jesus enough that just maybe he sees things we don't see? And that do you trust Jesus enough to know that he has our best interests at heart? And so when he says love your enemies, he's saying it for your benefit, for my benefit, for our benefit, for the world's benefit, that Jesus wouldn't command us to do something that's going to hurt us. That he wouldn't command us to do something that's going to hurt other people. And so he says, you do this because I command it. And I command it because it's the key to life. The second reason we should love our enemies is because hatred pushes us away from the good life. Bitterness, cynicism, anger. This is what hatred produces. And the longer you hate, the more it becomes a habit, the more bitter and cynical and angry you become. And while you might think it's endearing... Ask the people around you. Ask them how endearing it really is. And and ask yourself, how heavy is this burden getting on me? It pushes us away from the good life. The third reason we should love our enemies and follow Jesus is hatred is counterproductive and it's short-sighted. I started to talk about this before. I just want to finish this point. If you really want to make the world a better place if you really want to win a victory over darkness and, and, and evil stands on evil issues, if you really want to make a difference, only love is powerful enough to get you there. In the history of this world, how many times has hatred won the day? Won, won, won the victory in those issues battles that we have, the, the political battles that we have. How, how often does hatred ultimately get us to where we want to go? You want, a better pl- you want a better world? You want a better community? You want a better school system? You, you, you want a better... Hating the other side is going to get you there? Really? You're made for more. Condemning the other side is what we're influenced to do. It's the loudest voices in our world today. I get why we do it. Because it's the example that's set for us. Turn down the volume. In fact, turn it off. And turn up the volume on the God who made you who says love your enemies it will get you where you want to go to do otherwise is counterproductive and it's short-sighted and finally we should love our enemies because hatred is a game we can't win remember the movie the hunger games the first episode before it got really weird (laughs) the the heroes are living in this dystopian society, this this science fiction future-based kind of glimpse of this is what the world would look like, possibly, if we continue to be so divided. How fascinating. This Hunger Games world is divided into 12 different factions, right? 12 different precincts. And they're taught by the ruling elite minority class to hate each other. The author had a christ based approach to this book the 12 different precincts the 12 different divisions are 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 taught over and over again to divide each other and one of the ways one of the ways this is taught is on a regular basis the the, let's say they're 7% or so I don't know the ruling class who have all the fame who have all the power who have all the money tell everybody else you're going to fight you're going to fight each other because you know you hate each other so much You divide on issues. You see the world differently. You hate each other so much. We're going to name a representative from each of your precincts and you're going to come and you're going to play the Hunger Games, which is basically a survival of the fittest and there's only one left standing unless the two of you are from the same precinct and then you can both stand together. What if we just stop playing the game? What if we just refuse to let those people be our influencers anymore? And to be fair... Sometimes those influencers are just opportunists and it's not malice that motivates them, it's just they want to be famous or they want to be rich. But what's missing is they could care less about what it's going to do to the world around them. They could care less about the the outcome of it. It, it's, It's not that they necessarily started the parade of hate. But they were smart enough and opportunistic enough to notice, my goodness, there's a lot of people who are hating right now. I'm going to get out in front of the parade and say, hey, follow me now. I'm your leader. I'll be the loudest voice. I'll be the most edgy voice. I'll be the one that's so bold and so out there and so courageous. There's nothing courageous about hate. You know what's courageous? Love. You know what else is courageous, church? Not just standing up against the people you disagree with. And if you do, great, go ahead and do that, but do it with love. It's standing up against the people you agree with and telling them the way you're doing it isn't right. It's not of the Lord. It isn't Christ-like. It isn't okay to have contempt for the other side. It isn't okay to hate the haters. It isn't okay. We're not going to go down into the same mud where they hang out. We're not going to play their game. When's the last time you stood up to those you agree with? And said, while I agree with where you stand on this issue, I don't agree with the way you're doing it. Because the price is way too high. It's too high for you, it's too high for me, it's too high for the people in our group. It's too high for the people who see things the way we see them. It's way too high. It's too high for the world. It's too high for our future. It's not good, which is why Jesus commands this. You gotta find a better way. What if we just stop playing the game that no one can win except for those who gain from our divisions? What if we stop playing the game? Do you remember the last scene in this movie? Our two heroes from the same precinct are the only ones left, so yay, they win, right? All the other precincts are done. Only then the dividers, the influencers, they're not satisfied. And they want one more division. We can only have one champion, one victor, only one person to stand at the end. And if you start to see the world that way, that the only way we're going to win these social issue wars, these battles, these culture wars, is to destroy the other side, you've fallen into the same trap. You'll never win that game. You, your side will never win that game. The only way to win is to tap into something way more powerful. And that's what they do. Our heroes, they find love at the end. And they absolutely refuse to hate one another. Take a look. Attention, attention, tributes. There has been a slight rule change. The previous revision, allowing for two victors from the same district, has been Revoked. Only one victor may be crowned. Good luck. And may the odds be ever in your favor. should go home one of us has to die they have to have their victor no they don't why should they no trust me trust me Gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games? You want your side to win? History teaches you'll never get there until you learn how to love your enemies, the other side, the people who oppress you, the people who make things worse from your perspective. You'll never win until you learn to love them. Our heroes in this movie refused to let the influencers divide them. They chose love. They chose love. So they found victory. So they found life. So they found freedom. So they find hope. So they find peace. So they find joy. And so it is with us. What if instead we started a new game where the most important rule is love? And there are no rules more important than that. And that's the one rule that can't be broken. Even love for our enemies. And out of love, when we have a friend who steps outside of those boundaries, we lovingly pull that friend back. And we say, what you're doing isn't good. It's not good for our cause. It's not good for our side. Even though the voices who sound like you sound right now are getting all the attention. When, church, are we going to stop funding the hate? When are we gonna start turning off those channels and those videos and those social media platforms and those places? I'm not saying videos and social media is bad. There's a lot of good that happens there. I'm talking about the hate that hangs out in those places. When are we gonna stop funding it? Because your clicks and your likes and your follows and your ratings and your tuning in funds them. It funds the hate. When are we going to draw a line and say, not for us, not for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We will not, no matter how popular you become, no matter how courageous and bold everybody falsely says you are, that you're finally standing up and saying what needs to be said, maybe, but the way you're saying it is not going to be helpful to our cause. What if instead we started a new game where the most important rule is love? What if we learn to love our enemies? Now, if we do that, we got to talk about how, not just why. So here, just briefly as we wrap up, is how we do this. And the Bible lays it out for us. Jesus, right after he says, love your enemies. Did you catch this part from Matthew chapter 5? He says, here's how you love your enemies. Start by praying for them. Not God, strike down my enemies with lightning. (laughs) God, bless them. Bless them it'll start to change your heart. And that needs to happen, not just for their sake, more so for your own, and for my own, and for our own. Number two, see them through a lens of grace. God fills us up with his unconditional love, which is grace. He loves us even though he sees us. The Bible says, even though we're filled with sin, he died for us. No greater love, the Bible says, has the world ever known than this. God loves us so much that he gave us his only son, knowing where his son was going. That's grace. It's love that doesn't depend on whether it's earned or deserved. None of us earn or deserve God's love. Not one of us, have earned. myself, front of the line, do not earn or deserve God's love. We have fallen short, and the Bible says this. All of us ascend and fall short. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. That's an amazing thing. It's amazing grace. And since God gives it to us, there it is. Now we just reflect that. Now we just let that fill us up and naturally pour out of us to the world around us. That'll get us there. It's not easy. It could take days, weeks, months, years. But enough of this justifying hate nonsense and saying, "Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't I don't love everybody." That's not Christian. That's not following Jesus. You can say that it is, and you can get a bunch of friends who say that it is, and you can even get some loud influencer voices who say that it is. You can even get church leaders who tell you it is, and make their whole church about hate. But it isn't Christian. It isn't biblical. It isn't Jesus. No matter how much you want it to be, no matter how much your sinful nature wants it to be, because it, you know, scratches that itch of your sinful nature, my sinful nature. We won't go there. And it's time for the rest of the church to stop going there too. We have influence, folks, more than you think. Make Jesus your biggest influencer. Turn down the volume on the others and turn up the volume on Jesus and test everything through the lens of, does this sound like Jesus? Does this person that I pledge my allegiance to, that I follow, that I like, that that, that I give my my tune-ins to, does this person sound like Jesus? Does this person reflect the Jesus who commands his greatest commandment that you will love one another, even your enemies? Does this influencer who I allow to influence in, me in my life, does he or she sound like Jesus? Because he, if he or she doesn't, I need to find somebody else. I need to find somebody else who's a, who believes in the things I still believe in, who's a part of the same cause, but does it in a Christ-like way. And I will reject those who don't, and I will stop following and that leads to the last one. Don't underestimate the power of love. Trust it. Look at history. Do you remember in 1987, those of you who are old enough when President Reagan went to the Berlin Wall, a wall that divided communism from freedom and democracy? Right in the, in, in the height of, of the Cold War, kind of hitting a crescendo. Do you remember what he said, those of you who are old enough, and if you're not old enough, maybe you've read this in history class? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Two years later, the wall came down and communism, dark, evil, sinister, oppressive, crumbled and fell throughout much of the world. There's only remnants of it today. Well, unless you count China, which is pretty big. But it fell in the Soviet Union, and it fell in a lot of the Eastern Bloc nations. And you might think, if you don't know the rest of the story, that it's... That President Reagan was bold enough to stand up and say, tear down that wall. And that was great, and that was well-timed, and it was great that he brought his voice to the movement that had started five years before. Do you know where the movement to end the Cold War started? Do you know where the movement to tear down that wall started? A Lutheran church in Leipzig, Germany. Way smaller than this one. A pastor, a young pastor at the time named Christian Fuhr was the pastor at St. Nicholas Lutheran Church in Leipzig. There, there it is. Beautiful, isn't it? Outside and in. And he started preaching. Remember, Leipzig was in East Germany. It was in communist Germany. But communist Germany gave pastors like him the ability, the, the little bit of leeway to, to preach what Jesus preached. So he started preaching what Jesus preaches. Love your enemies. Even though we know communism is oppressive, even though we know it's taking life away from us, even though we know it's taking freedom away from us, we will love the people who are doing it. We will hate what they're doing, but we will love them. We will not let contempt grow in our heart for them. It started a movement, a revival. And it was so attractive it started drawing thousands of people to their church over and over again. They started filling it up and then they would come and worship and then they would spill over into the streets after the services and they would light candles and they would go out week after week after week. Sunday services and weekday prayer services. They would come and they would worship. They would come and they would pray. And this Lutheran church, they would go out as they continued to grow bigger and bigger all the time and they would go out and protest. They didn't tear down buildings. They didn't light fires. They didn't didn't, uh, start riots. They went out and they made their voices heard. Communism has to end. This oppressive regime can no longer go on. The wall has to come down. This is what was painted on their signs as they lit their candles and sang their hymns and peacefully marched. Don't underestimate the power of love. So what was the response of communist East Germany? They put massive barricades around the church. People still found a way in, and the church continued to grow. Don't underestimate the power of love. It's what our hearts need, and when we realize it, it starts to change everything. We say, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice safety in order to make sure that I hear this love and experience this love. They started to threaten the pastor. They started to threaten the lives of the protesters, even though they were always peaceful. It sounds a whole lot like a Baptist pastor from the 1960s. Who, who answered God's call and stood up and started a whole civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr., who took the message of loving your enemies to the whole world and says, I refuse. If my oppressors strike me on one side of the cheek, I'll turn the cheek. We will march in peace. We will go forward. We will, we will carry love with us. Only love has the power to change things. Only love has the power to change the history of this world. Only love has the power to unite the United States. Only love has the power to bring us together in school systems, in and, and places where all oh, the voices want to divide us. The influencers want us to be split up. So maybe they can gain. Despite all of the threats, the church continued to march. And it became a movement that started to spread to other cities all around Germany, east and west. And now there's hundreds of thousands of Germans protesting every week. Five years later, President Reagan shows up at the wall and adds his voice to the movement and says, Mr. Gorbachev, it's time, tear down this wall. The movement that started five years before, he brought his voice to it, a good move. Two years later, the wall came down. If you want to change the world, go do it. Because every single one of us, every single one of us, you too, is going to get tested on this one on a regular basis. You're going to be up against this, 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 this challenge, this spiritual challenge, over and over, day after day. Will you please rise up and be the church and say, this is it. We draw the line. We will not hate anymore. We will not add our voice. We will not fund it anymore. We will be followers of Jesus Christ. We will follow the way, the truth, and the life, and we will bring his light to the world. Amen? Let's stand up and sing about the power of God's reckless love. I'm not mad at you. I'm just fired up. Come on, church. Let's be the church.